I'm Sarah Gross. And I'm Sarah True. And you're listening to If We Were Riding. A triathlon-ish podcast. Grab your sock hats, fill your decanter. Friday's here. It's time for some banter. Tri-tips, life chat from two feisty pros, zoomies, arm hair, ebbs, and flows. Rides with influential women in sport. Voicemails from you, now it's in your court. Join in just to stalk raccoons. Do you like your Zwift caps and fear those loons? So unpad your bras and stop that hiding and find out what happens if we were riding. I'm actually amazed we were able to figure out a time to record today. We've had, we've struggled <laughs> over the, so, sometimes because I forget what day I'm flying, but <laughs> even this week it was hard. We're both so busy. Yeah. Well, so part of the problem is that I thought that Hawk was starting preschool yesterday oh. and it turns out it's, he's not actually starting until next week on the 6th. Uh, so my already chaotic life got more chaotic, chaotic being like, uh, now I have to figure out childcare. Uh, yeah. So really interesting, but we were able to squeeze in a little, a little catch up because after two weeks of leaving each other voicemails, it just was simply unacceptable. I know we couldn't put off another week. I know. Although I was like, I was seriously impressed by your, uh, like, sorry, what is my brain doing today um by your ability to regale our audience with your tales so (laughs) thank you for picking up the slack last week but i wanted to say first of all congratulations to hawk on his walking he's really good at it too Mm. yeah i know but it just it makes my life even more chaotic the fact that he can now walk it's the kind of thing yeah oh yeah i bet mobility is like (laughs) it's a big lifestyle change for parents yeah Yeah, Yeah. for sure yeah also go ahead i was just gonna say you it it makes me think fondly when i could just plop him down on the ground he wouldn't go anywhere (laughs) yeah exactly or when you carry him like on your chest and a little thing around (laughs) my best friend has a four month old right now and it's that amazing easy phase like yesterday we hung out all day we went for a run we went to the coffee shop and hung out we oh we had lunch wheeled him around went for a walk and spent hours just like that without any problems at all (laughs) he didn't interrupt our socializing at all so it's it changes quickly doesn't it oh yeah oh yeah Mm -hmm. okay um coming up on the show um i have some follow-up questions about your uh, about the Collins Cup, we have a voicemail from a listener. Uh, we're going to, oh, we're going to talk about how expensive Kona is this year. It's crazy. And the word endurance, should we be using it at all? Let's talk about Orca for a minute. In 2018, Orca approached me at the Ironman World Championships in Kona and said, hey, we love what you are doing and we want to support women better. So we are designing products specifically for women rather than just, you know, shrinking the men's products. And we want your help. That's me, Sarah, and Feisty Media that they were asking for help from. Not only that, but I personally find that my Orca wetsuit is the best I've ever had for flexibility and buoyancy, and I definitely wish I had found it when I was racing pro. 
Fast forward four years and Orca has launched their new triathlon wetsuits and other gear designed specifically for women. I'm so proud to have been part of this process. So you can order your very own wetsuit and other fab products for 15% off using the code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. That's Iron Women, the name of one of our amazing triathlon podcasts, Iron Women 1515 at orca.com. All right, Sarah, I guess, so we're going to have to have follow-up questions about your trip next week, but (laughs) (laughs) did you, did you heal up from your little tumble? I did. I think I'm just showing Sarah now, you know, you can see there's like, so I have sections like that all over my body. They're a little bit itchy. So, um, but it's pretty much healed. Yeah. I, (laughs) I have no idea how it was like, oh, I actually do have an idea. When I look back, there was like, a little, at the side of the trail, there was a little tuft of grass. Did I say this last week? That had like clearly like fallen through. So it was like my whatever my foot was on at one moment just like sent me down, not down the hillside, but would have sent me down the hillside were it not for this thorny bush <laughs> that caught me in its sweet embrace. So <laughs> anyway, I've finished about that enough. Um, so, <laughs> but okay, I wanted to ask: Did you figure out why you were puking? No, super weird. I've never had that happen. Uh, I don't, I do not know. There were some other athletes who had really bad stomach issues during the race. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say anything more along those lines, but is it a coincidence? I don't know. Yeah. Right. We we swam this canal thing and Like they tested the water. They said it was good, but you never know. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I've been at races like that before where something goes wrong and there's, there's like a number of people with some kind of, just because I think too, our bodies probably can't handle any extra like digestional, is that a word? <laughs> What's the right word? Like stress at like at that time, because you have enough stress from racing too. And you're expecting your body to absorb all those calories as like part of your performance. So yeah, I'm sorry. It's, I mean, it's okay. It's just, it was super weird and it's not fun to, one, one of the things that they need to figure out uh, is that they only had two, like basically two aid stations. And I was really counting on being able to try to get some Coke, like hopefully Coke that would have, could have helped you. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I had to wait, you know, probably 5k into the run before I got some Coke. And it, at that point I was fried. Yeah, there was there was no coming back at that point, <laughs> but it's okay. You seem okay about it. So, well, here's the thing: there was no there was no money on the line. So, yes, for I mean, to be totally blunt, like yes, I would have liked to race well for you know the team, for myself, you know, for the PTO rankings, whatever. But it's very different as a pro athlete if you're like okay, uh, that just cost me X amount of money to have a bad race. There's less at stake, I think. It, at least it felt like it. Right. And this brings me to- Other than pride. Of, <laughs> other than <laughs> pride, which you seem to be rolling with fairly well. <laughs> no, I was really, I was really? not happy about it. Hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, because you know, I I I take pride in my job and and my ability to perform, and yeah, you know, it's it's not fun being on TV having a terrible race when you're so exposed. That's the thing, right? Like there are three people. You have a bad day. You can't hide. Oh, uh, yeah. Like it, it, it's, it is embarrassing. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. What a lot of, yeah, that's actually, and how do you mentally, how, how do you deal with it? Like, so now we're sitting on a podcast laughing about it like a week later. Yeah. What's the, um, do you just have skills to pull yourself out of that mentally because, you know, because you're used to it as an athlete, like how, yeah, I, I think the, the more, the older you get, I think the less ego is tied to what, like, I just don't care as much about what people think of me. Mm. So I know that on that day, I did the best I could given the circumstances and you know, that's all I can do. So if people think that I'm a terrible athlete and I should have been there, you know, that's, that's on them. Um, because I, I know the truth. Uh, like, I don't care what they think. So, but yeah, as a younger athlete, it would have really, I would, I would have carried it back with me, but honestly, I have too much stuff going on to care. Yeah, that's, that's true, right? <laughs> There's I can't more give important. energy to other people because yeah. I just don't have it. <laughs> right. <laughs> 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 that's really good. That's that's so true too. You're like, I can't be bothered to care about that right now. You yeah. Six other things in the priorities. Yeah. Which kind of which kind of circles into what our voicemail's about. And like m- one of my observations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So like I what the other thing that I kind of jotted down after listening to some of what you were saying is that um or in in last week's episode was uh, like you were saying these great essentially great observations about um some of what you saw like in terms of your great experience as an athlete but also like some of the potential pitfalls and I'm wondering like does the, and we'll listen to Jordan's voicemail in a minute but does the has the PTO created a feedback loop? Like, is there a place, you know, is it up to them to now listen to our podcast last week to hear what you have to think? Or like, is there somewhere where you can, where you're invited to say that? So there, there is an athlete board Mm -hmm. and the understanding is that you go to the athlete board. uh, They'd like to keep things internal when it comes to feedback uh ultimately they kind of do what they want uh with the collins cup but yeah the athletes either the athletes board will present certain issues and you know the the board will will do what they want based on that feedback from the athletes Mm. does it make sense totally so basically no they're not gonna listen unless (laughs) you ruffle too many feathers and then they're going to be like, what the heck are you doing? Ruffling too many feathers right. uh, publicly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I personally thought your feedback was excellent. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, and we also heard from Jordan who had some feedback as well. Yeah. had some thoughts about uh, media. So let's listen to that. Hi, Sarah and Sarah, it's Jordan Blanco. Um, I just watched the Collins Cup this past weekend and was curious to get your thoughts on some things that caught my attention. 
Um, and, and that is around the PTO's apparent marketing tactics to build rivalries around kind of tropes of toxic max- masculinity. Um, I was referring to like Sam um, Laidlow versus Sam Long, but also to some extent the Holly Lawrence versus Ellie Salthouse um, rivalry. Whether you call it um, banter or bullying, the PTO's narrative around competition seems firmly rooted in a prior century and for me feels completely out of place in triathlon. Um, for a sport that was, is trying to emulate tennis and golf in terms of attracting bigger price purses, more sponsors, broadcast um, television, it's disturbing that they're resorting to the marketing tactics of wrestling and UFC with these sham rivalries and or egging on athletes to bully one another just to create a uh, more, a better script, um, as it were. I think there are much more interesting stories within the pro triathlon community for the audience to relate to and feel passionate about. It seems like it's lazy storytelling to focus on petty fights, manufactured or otherwise. In fact, my favorite narrative of women's sport right now is, is the idea that women lift one another up and support one another, how they can train together and yet still turn around and, and compete against one another. I wish the PTO could tug on that string to unearth, unearth an authentic human interest story rather than belabor fake fights. I have brought this up with Charles in the past, and his response has been to me that the audience is 70% male, and that's a st- and the fake fights and uh, competition it, is what appeals to that audience. Anyway, just wanted to uh, share my thoughts. Thanks, guys. All right, Jordan. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So how do you get to make triathlon more compelling? Do you try to add drama? Because there's not a lot of it, especially. So this format's not super dramatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Athletes are, as we admit, kind of boring. So do you manufacture it? Um, Do you feed into it? And I'm kind of with Jordan that one of the things that makes this sport really interesting is that we are really supportive of each other. You know, it's, it's a, it is a very positive environment, you know, when you're around the athletes and yeah, you're going to have a little bit of friction here and there, but by and large, it athletes, they, they really like each other. They respect each other. Yes. We want to beat one another. uh, But focusing on the positivity rather than whatever friction might exist. Mm might be less dramatic, but it's more reflective of how things actually are between us. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I think I also see space for more than one narrative, right? So if there's someone, if there is someone in the PTO, which sounds like there is, who just like loves that, like combative people trash talking each other. Sometimes that type of trash talk, because I've been in environments too, where like trash talk can be a little bit almost, um, what's the word like where you en- you enjoy it mm. you know like I remember banter. I told that yeah banter yeah like when I told that story about um when my podcast editor was visiting here actually she edits this podcast Carrie when she's like visiting here um and during CrossFit and she says to me out on the like we're running out of the road and she's like fuck you grossy fuck you and it was just like the funniest like I was like this is amazing like she's beating me in the CrossFit workout workout and she like just you know and um 
And that was like, I just remember that moment. Like I, I took it as like, uh, affection. Mm. If that makes sense. Like, so like there's that. And then like, sometimes it, it can go really negative. Well, I think both people have to be in on it. True. Right. So there's, there's good natured mm-hmm. banter, um, you know, between athletes and, but you have to, it has to come from the athletes mm-hmm. rather than, and that's what we should be amplifying is that good natured, positive competitiveness, um, or, you know, fake trash talk rather for entertainment because there is plenty of that uh rather than so the 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 incident that jordan's referring to there there were two athletes uh two male athletes and i guess there was some social media back and forth some words publicly exchanged uh one athlete got really upset and stormed out of an interview. Oh, so this is like real. This was real. Okay. Yeah. 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 But the decision from the PTO to amplify that and and post, you know, some video publicly, that was on them. Um, I think they realized not to feed into it at a certain point that it wasn't healthy for the athletes and wasn't healthy for the brand to feed into it. And I respect them for kind of pulling back. Um, ultimately those athletes, they resolved whatever was going on between the two of them. And, you know, there probably will be a little tension between them moving forward. But at that point in time, you, you know, you have to ask, did the PTO make it worse in order to kind of blast it, uh, and make, make the the Collins Cup more compelling in some way or like were they were they trying to diffuse it probably not the start as it as the race you know the race week progressed I think they did uh but the initial the initial impulse was definitely like okay this makes for good content (laughs) and that's you know that's part of the growing pains right is that they're they're trying to learn how to make it positive you know this was an authentic storyline so this wasn't a manufactured one yeah so you know do you take advantage of that or do you pull back and realize that you have to you have a responsibility to the athletes to yeah you know not not blast this uh tension publicly yeah so actually interestingly and like bear with me here. I was just making yeah. notes for our media meeting this morning for Feisty. And like you have even building, cause they're building me- a media thing too. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that I don't want to call it a temptation because then I'm coding it negative, but I understand that impulse to go give the people what they want. Like totally. if a million people are going to watch like male pros going at each other. <laughs> like I get that. Like, so at some point you have to go, okay, we have to go like, what are our values and does this align, right? Because right. you can't just endlessly give people what they want. But if you don't give people what they want enough, you will fail as a media organization. And the PTO, for all intents and purposes, is trying to, as we know, like monetize that project through media. So like, you have to give the people <laughs> what they want. And if you fail, we all lose anyway, right? Like, right. 
the pros lose what they have with it, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same with feisty. Like if we don't give people what they want enough, we lose. So it's like about finding this, like, what are the indications that we're on the right path from both sides? And where can we find those places that align like with our values? Because it's not like one or the other. They're not, they're not on a, do you call it? Like they're not on a spectrum that one is working against the other. Like they definitely can align when you have giving people what they want and aligning with the values of, of whatever the organization is. So that's the sweet spot, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's part of the growing pains of a new organization is that they are trying to find that balance between, okay, this is good for clicks. This is good for drama. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's not good for our values system and, and they're, they'll figure it out. It's just, they'll have to lean in harder on the positive stories and the fact that honestly, we all pretty much get along <laughs> and respect each other um, and, and figuring out how to turn that positivity into clickable content um, or streamable content. And I think that's, that's where we do struggle as, as you know, professional triathlon to make it compelling. Yeah. So I'm thinking about like, if I, this is making me think of the Tour de France. Do you remember like before Lance Armstrong, before we knew that Lance, Lance Armstrong was cheating and when he was an Amer- became an American hero, right? He, cycling was not that popular in the US. Like people did not watch the Tour de France in droves like they did, especially in those years and the years that followed. I, th- I suspect it probably waned again a little bit. I'm just guessing. I don't know this for sure. But like, I think that creating those heroes, like creating like, and, and the PTO has that opportunity because they have the pro athletes, right? And they also have the, a media project, right? So they can create of the, of the athletes, they could create some like, hero storylines where they're telling the stories of athletes. Like the reason that we love great athletes or the reason that we even watch sport to some extent is because it's not just because of how amazing the athletes are and what they're doing. Right. It's because of the backstory, you know, like think of the ways the Olympic, think of some of the way that Olympic games are presented or some things like even when you're watching um, sport on TV, like sometimes they'll give you, if you don't know the backstory, they'll give it to you. Right. Or like everyone following, everybody knows what's going on in like people's lives (laughs) kind of to some extent, like they're following along a story of someone who's been successful at something that a lot of people wish they could do. I guess. So the story, to use your analogy of of Lance, the story is what Lance's story is what made people interested in Lance. But I think the rivalry between Lance and like Jan Ulrich oh, good. Yeah. made uh-huh. made for compelling race racing. Yeah. And that's that's the difference is you almost do need rivalry in sport and to amplify mm-hmm. those stories to make the racing itself itself really compelling. Right. Oh, I love that addition. Right. So like where you have the um can you, but you can have that rivalry without them trash talking each other. Yes. Yeah. Right. You could have it with them trash talking each other if they are anyway. <laughs> right. Like, right. That's true. If, that, if that's happening, like, and how much you amplify it again is like a choice of values for whomever the media organization is. But like sometimes that's just the individual athletes doing it. Right. But like 
yeah, yeah, you're right. So you need the, you need both the heroes and their stories and you need the, uh, you need to give people a reason to watch, which is they want to find out who's going to win. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But you could do that. Like if I watched a video, I could, you could take any sport where two people, well, in this case, three people <laughs> were going head to head. Right. And you could show me videos of the backstory of how those people um, trained. Like give me like, you know, like the montage clip of like, this is what like you and Hawk, you know, and Daniela and whatever she's been, through, you know, like give, <laughs> give me all the things of like how hard, oh, how many hours a week and, you know, give me, and then show me the show and I will be, I will 100% be more interested in it. Right. So this is, this is the tension that exists in, in showing sport because what you described is our NBC Olympic coverage leans heavily into the backstories and the feel good stuff. And as an athlete, especially if I know something about the sport, I get really annoyed with that. Mm. Just show me the racing. All I want to see is the racing. Right. But like my, my best friend, uh, you know, who's, who's not a serious athlete. She really loves the backstories. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you, like she, she eats that up. That's all she wants to watch with the Olympic coverage. I hate that part of it. So how do you find, how do you find a balance? And that's where it is, you know, it is really interesting. Like the diehard fans are going to get upset with all the, the touchy feely, you know, backstories and like the, yeah. And you're right. Like but when the, the general sport, public loves that kind of thing. Totally. Like when the sport is big enough, if those things are almost happening in two different places. Like mm. you don't watch NBA basketball and have them cut to like the players' lives with their families. Totally. You know what I mean, like yeah. it doesn't, but that happens elsewhere. Right. Right. Like yeah, it's all it's like true. two different, like it's happening on social. They're much bigger stars. They have millions of fans. So if you follow along an athlete there, they can tell their own story. They sometimes even have a team that's telling their story through social media. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, and even in the Tour de France example, we talked about with, with like they, they might have some backstories I can't I haven't watched tour coverage for a while so I can't remember but like they, I don't they, and I do I know they do a lot of like showing how beautiful France is kind of stuff but like they you know they don't need to tell the whole story because it's the sport is bigger so like you're right you're absolutely right that like that with the like your example like the NBC coverage of of Kona or whoever airs it now coverage of Kona like they have to do all things right because we don't know who those athletes are um or we well we do <laughs> but <laughs> but a lot of people don't yeah it, it is an interesting question in terms of the strategy yeah yeah so I don't I don't know what I think the the Collins Cup strategy they really do want to focus hard on you know the the purely competitive part of the sport but it's is there enough tension in the racing itself you know we only had really one great race of all the pair-ups so you got to build drama somehow because the racing itself isn't compelling enough yeah so yeah I don't know I don't know what they're gonna do yeah it'll be interesting to see it continue to unfold yeah um, it certainly okay. didn't help that I had a terrible day <laughs> <laughs> I did not add to the drama on the race course. 
Oh, but you did. You did. I just had my internal dramas. And right. that doesn't make for good TV, Sarah. <laughs> Not like puking all over herself as she's like wallowing in her own pity. <laughs> oh. I, I don't really. Know. I'm playing it up. I'm- I know, but like, okay, as I when I was watching the CrossFit Games, right? Like, we were like front row. We could see, like, we could see the beads of sweat. You know, like we we were seeing what the athletes were going through. And like, actually, part of the interesting part of it is that, like, you. I think I told you about the woman who was like. I actually looked her up, and she was 127 pounds because we talked about like my image of how big and strong those women were, and it's actually not. They're strong, but they're not as big as I thought they were. But like how she couldn't get the yoke off the ground. Right. And she was standing that she was sitting right in front of us and struggling and like actually watching her struggle was, um, it, it was like, it was interesting. Like it was something like it was relatable, you know, at the, at, you feel bad for her. Like I, you know, and yet like, I don't know if other people are thinking this, but like for me, because as an athlete myself, like I know what it's like to be that person who like can't pick the yoke off the ground, essentially, <laughs> right? like in a race. So I like, um, so what was my point there? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think, I think it is like sometimes interesting to, oh, it, that's what my point was going to be. Was that like also watching what, like how success and failure looks different in different people? Because there were some athletes at the CrossFit Games that were like, they would play out every single, like the, these people are doing like 12 events over five days, right? Like you're, they're playing out every success and failure in some of them are like emotionally, you can just watch them. You know exactly what they're thinking because their emotions are like on the outside. They're pissed off at themselves. They're happy. They're, you know, <laughs> they're like all over and you're like, wow. And, and then others are just like so centered you know, and so like, you can't see them budge, you know, and, and like, kind of my preference is like, I love the ones that are like that way. Like I have the tiger, like they, they didn't do something very well, but they're like, they're like immediately just still on to the next thing. But then I was talking to a friend of mine and he was like, oh, I love this athlete. Right. And the reason he did was because you could watch her just like you, he knew what she's going through in real time. You know? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't think I brought this up in, in my ranting, raving, whatever last week's podcast was. So one of, one of the ideas that I have to make this style of racing more compelling is it draws on that range of athlete experience uh, and using the captains who are now, you know, basically just for image, they don't really serve a real role. Uh, so the, we had Julie Moss and Dave Scott. So Dave Scott's still, super super dialed into high performance sport he's really interested in what's going on get somebody like that watching his athletes so the u.s athletes looking at like their real-time heart rate data files uh you know having them basically do commentary on the individual athletes performances as they're unfolding and be like hey you know for example looking at my race and being able to say, okay, you know, uh, I heard from Julie on the course, like Sarah is having stomach issues, like, you know, as she came through transition, just having it be kind of a, a, a feedback oh, where it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, I can tell based on her, her, her power numbers, the second half of the bike, they really dropped off. Uh, you know, it's clear that she's struggling. So adding that dimension into it, being like, you know, 
talking about in real time how things are playing out. Oh, this this athlete's heart rate all of a sudden really went up. It looks like they're in distress or like, you know, in conjunction with you could see their their pace is all has increased. Like, you know, maybe maybe they're putting in a surge, you know, just doing real time analysis. Yeah. I think would use the captains well, make yeah. them feel like they're they're actually contributing and yeah. giving like their insight, the really valuable insight into sport to make it more interesting TV. Yeah, I love that idea. Just a thought. If anybody listens to our podcast, I hope they. I hope they listen. Yeah, <laughs> but that that um, was something like Dave really was hurt. I think in a very real way, where he's like, I want to be part of you know making this bigger, making this more important. I don't want to just be here. You know, like Dave's got the 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 image. I want to be here as a person with something to to give. Totally. And yeah. one thing like, you know, and we're going to talk about this a bit more next week, but like one thing like I can, a guy like Dave Scott, like has a lot to offer. And one thing that the PTO and triathlon does have going for it is that there's a lot of stakeholders, right? And there's still people who have been there. And by stakeholders, I mean like people who have, who have like something in the game, they have a horse in the race and they want to see the sport be better and they want to see it grow. Right. So they have like just the way that you, how you go about then bringing together those people hearing their ideas and like deciding how to move forward which is very interesting but I think if you're in a position to do that you have just so many help people willing to help you like almost for free they'll share their ideas they share their ideas on podcasts <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> um okay Sarah we had about like 12,000 different things we needed to catch up on so I'm just gonna go ahead and like hunt the rest of our <laughs> the rest of our list rest of our run list for this week to next week because we've got so many things even just going to Kona and stuff to talk about um so let's take a little break and then um talk for a couple of minutes about how freaking expensive Kona is um and then we can move on as a former pro triathlete who now does very amateur crossfitting for fun and is in perimenopause, meaning I can't count on my hormones to be consistent anymore. One of my main limitations is the speed at which I build muscle. It just doesn't come easily for me. I wanted to make sure I am actually getting the benefits of the little time I do have to work out. That's why Amino Co's Perform is the perfect product for me. It tastes good and I just sip on it before and during my workouts. The AminoCo's Perform formula has clean ingredients and is great for your everyday routine to help give your body the fuel it needs to perform at its best and recover faster and stronger from workouts. What's even better is that AminoCo's Perform was created by former Harvard professor and world-renowned clinical researcher Dr. Wolf. As a competitive athlete, Dr. Wolf has completed 62 marathons in under 2.30 whoa, and is still fueling his body with Perform at age 75. So if you are looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to boosting your peak athletic performance, I recommend you give Perform a try. It's scientifically three times more effective on a gram for gram basis than any other protein source. To try it yourself and get 30% off, Use the code RIDING, R-I-D-I-N-G, when you visit aminoco.com forward slash riding. That's A-M-I-N-O-C-O 
com forward slash riding. The fastest path to living healthier, longer starts inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. It was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. That's quite a list. Inside Tracker provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live healthier, longer. When I do my Inside Tracker tests, I always use the mobile blood draw service. It's amazing because you can enjoy a premium lab experience in the comfort of your own home or your office. All you have to do is book a time that suits your schedule and they will come to you. The scheduling is easy and they send you text alerts so you'll get appointment updates and notifications when your Inside Tracker health analysis and custom action plan are ready to view. It's great for busy people who want to save time. So, if you want to try Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw service and find out what's going on inside your body for your health, go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com forward slash F E I S T Y. All right, Sarah, I love the fact that we are just ignoring our run list because I talk too much and no, you didn't got talk too excited. To, I, I think this commentary about, wait, we got through and we added an extra topic, which is essentially like what sports media is, <laughs> which is like no small topic. <laughs> well, I think we pretty much covered it. So we're all good. <laughs> now, uh, but speaking of compelling racing, sports media and the future of the sport, mm-hmm. Kona, yeah, crazy expensive. Yeah, I just wanted to call on this, comment on this real quickly. Like Jordan Blanco, who sent the um, voicemail earlier, also sent me a, like, also like tr- triggered me to a post that had been posted by Joe Skipper, who had decided, who has decided not to go to Kona because um, he's one of the pro male athletes um, because it's too expensive. And I, I really related to this because just within a few days, I booked our accommodation for Kona, right? And it, it was so interesting for it. For a group of our size, so we are four people, right? So I, you know, ideally I probably could have got away with two bedrooms, but like three bedrooms would be better for us. I was looking at accommodation and a lot of pro athletes need that many, many, if they have families, supporters, if they have any kind of support person coming along, whether that's a Cairo massage therapist, et cetera, they, they need that kind of space. Right. And like in Kona itself, there was nothing under $20,000. Yeah, for me to book. That's insane. Like, think like, that's a lot of freaking money. <laughs> like, especially with the amount of money. Like, even people who make a lot of money in the sport, like twenty thousand dollars for just to go to Kona, like just for the accommodation. You haven't even paid for your flight or anything yet. Um. So as we've talked about before, like we're staying out of town, um, which did bring that price quite far down. But even then, like the place that I booked was was honestly like the last place I found online that was even in our budget. Like, <laughs> like 
I don't, it's mind blowing. So I can understand why, especially imagine if you qualified too, like you just qualified just this past weekend at, at an Ironman or two weeks ago, you know, you have to book now. You don't have any choice. It's not like it's because you're booking at the last minute, like me, you know? Yeah, no. I mean, we, we've talked about the, the value of being there for sponsors, but at a certain point, yeah, you can't take tens of thousand dollars out of, unless, unless you're finishing top five financially. I mean, even then, like when I finished fourth, uh, it, I didn't come away with that much money. Let's be honest. By the time I paid for everything, that was when it was slightly cheaper than it is now. I, uh, and this is the conversation I had with my coach, you know, do, do I think about racing in Kona? He said, well, if you were paying out of pocket for travel, I would say there's no way, like, don't even think about it. Think about Wisconsin or, you know, Ironman, Arizona, something else. Financially, it doesn't make sense unless you think that you have a shot at a podium. Otherwise don't even bother. Um, but because I'm going there for Zwift. I, I'm not paying out of pocket for uh, for housing. That's the only reason it's feasible for me to race. It would be completely irresponsible for me financially because I know I'm not going to be in podium shape uh, to to show up in Kona because I I I have a family to think about. Like I I can't I can't spend twenty thousand dollars in a for, for a race when I know that the, I'm not going to make that back probably. Yeah. Well, and frankly, <laughs> like, even if you make a million dollars a year, yeah, right. Like yeah. it honestly, it doesn't matter. Like $20,000 is just way too much to spend on accommodation for a race. Like it's just, you know, like people who make a million dollars a year don't make that fight because they made dumb financial like decisions in the past. Right. Like, so like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, and it it's something that you know, this is this is kind of an elitist sport. Uh, you know, we could talk about this in another podcast about how the sport is not growing, it's retracting. Uh, and it definitely doesn't help that it's going to be more expensive. So the the marquee race of the entire sport is going to be harder for people to afford. Does that, does that help the sport? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting times, right? Yeah. Um, I know like just to see what will happen next with this, because like, it's obviously not Ironman's fault that people decided to hike up the, the prices of their Airbnbs and their hotels. They, they did that because they could get away with that. And we live in a capitalist society. So, so, and it's a fact that we're like in that post Kona bubble where people are traveling more and there's probably more demand for a place like Hawaii, uh, et cetera. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether next year it uh, evens out a bit or if we're. Uh... Yeah, on you're right. On one hand, it's great because more people get to race with the two-day mm -hmm. format. The downside being that it's it's more expensive. So there are pros and cons. Yeah, yeah. you can't uh, you can't blame Iron Man for the for capitalism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> next year we'll we'll um, buy a yacht and we'll just live offshore there, Sarah. A yacht. You we can just buy a yacht and make him put the anchor down. And then that's where we'll stay for Kona. Oh man. I, I love how big you think about Liv Feisty's budget for next year. 
sign me up, whatever you're doing. Let's just go with on the yacht. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, as long as I get a room on the yacht, sounds great. I'll save you a space. Okay. If anybody else who listens to the podcast wants a room on the yacht, let Sarah know. Mm -hmm. Dive into her DMs. Um, (laughs) I'll book you in. (laughs) I can't promise it'll actually be a yacht, but that's whatever. Yeah. I'm happy to have you. (laughs) If if you want to rant and rave about how, how expensive it is to be in Kona, we, we listen. We love a good rant and rave. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to another week of Ufer Writing, and we'll check in with you next week. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. My town, my crown. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. Yeah.